Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Searching for just the right job? Whether you're looking for full-time, part-time, or seasonal work, you can get started today. Amazon Jobs offer the whole package with great pay and flexible shifts that allow you to choose when and how much you work. Find a warehouse close to home and discover the role that works for you. To get your application started for an hourly job, go to Amazon.com apply. That's Amazon.com apply. Amazon is proud to be an equal opportunity employer. It's the Blue Room on Radio City Talk. It's your weekly show. I'll be joined by Mickey Horton, Jake Mills and Paddy Boylan shortly to talk Carlo Angelotti, Maurice Keane and Everton Shaw at Manchester United. But um, coming up later on today, we have got a big quarterfinal tie at Goodison Park. It's Leicester City in the quarterfinals of the League Cup. It should be a great atmosphere. And joining us now to talk about the visitors uh, later on today is Pete Selby from the For Fox Sake podcast. Pete, thanks very much for coming on. No problem. Looking forward to uh, a good game later. Well, fingers crossed the blue wins. <laughs> it, should, it should be an interesting one. Uh, but before we, we get to that, um, we have got to talk about the, the previous time these teams met. Not not too long ago at all, really, in, in the league game. Um, obviously, from an Everton perspective, it was utterly devastating to lose the game in that fashion. I imagine it was the, the total opposite for you guys. And, and argue, Well, I imagine that the high point of your campaign so far... Yeah, one of them. It's it's strange isn't it? you win a game with a last kick of the, of the game, and all the excitement is 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 better almost than winning four nil, if you know what I mean. And um, and that was the case. Everton played really well, and it's just that we ground you down towards the end and, and got the winning goal. It was it's it's typical of a team who were riding high, and, and typical of a team who were out of luck and uh, and, and without a win or without uh, some. Victories and a manager under the coach. It was it was always kind of going to happen that way. And um, you look back on it now, and it's amazing what happens in a short amount of time in football. You look at your club. I mean, the amount that could have changed between that game and possibly maybe the weekend. Say, let's see. But uh, mm. yeah, it's, it's it's all changed there. And, and at Leicester, it's it's kind of we've carried on that bit of form. Obviously, a bit at the weekend, but uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's been more of the same. 
Is, is that been one of the sort of the staples of, of your campaign? I think you know, everyone looks at the, the Leicester eleven, and you can sort of name what it's been this this team, the, sorry, this season in the main. You know, you know the lads who are going to play, but Rogers made a couple of really smart changes during that game that Everton didn't really react to very well. And it feels as though, well, you know, like Zavardi and, and Madison, the last time we, we spoke, you were, you were glowing in your, your praise of T. Elements. It feels as though whenever he's needed a, a lad to come in and do something off the bench or a lad to come in when someone's been injured or, or suspended, that they've been able to step up as well. Yeah, we've always had the goals of Vardy by scoring in eight consecutive league games. You're going to have that. 16 goals in the Premier League, amazing record. But yeah, someone always has stood up. And when you get a group of young players, it tends to be the case that maybe they all don't click at one time. And if that does happen, something like maybe a 9-0 away at Southampton can happen. But but one will. It'll either be a Madison free kick or a through ball by Tillemans or a shot from the blue by Harvey Barnes, etc. Or Perez, but a skill. And and that's been the case. And then the way that he's brought Ineacho back into the fold, who who it's very easy from uh, a point of view of a fan who's not uh, maybe closely associated with Leicester to go, well, he's not really figured since, well, forever, really. Where has he been for a year, year and a half? He's been absolutely nowhere. He's been nowhere near the team and he's not looked like it as well. And when he has played, he's not really put the effort in, I think. And a lot of fans would say he's just looked, he's looked short of fitness and all sorts. Apparently behind the scenes, he's a good lad and everyone likes him. But mm. um, it seems that Rodgers has, has, has kind of turned his career around at Leicester as well. Not just by playing him, but also by by saying week in, week out, look, he's training really well. He's going to get his chance. And he's, he's turned up and looked uh, as sharp as a player that we thought we signed a couple of years ago. Mm. I mean, it, just on the fan base as a whole then, um, you know, you mentioned there about the, the disappointing one-all draw against Norwich. Um, what What's... What's the feeling like around the fans at the moment? Is is it very much a case of this is you know obviously this is fantastic where we are on the table ten points off Liverpool but we're pretty secure in in second place or you know I imagine coming out to that ground at the weekend there would have, would have been a sense of we, we just let Liverpool get a, a little bit away from us here especially with that Boxing Day game to come. I mean are, are the supporters thinking about a Premier League title or is it very much a case of do you know what this will absolutely do how we are so far? No, I, I don't think you can be talking a Premier League title unless you are in a position that Liverpool are until after Christmas until the new year if we were seven points five points behind Liverpool or whoever was top then yeah you would be thinking that but no it was always going to be top four Uh, but it was obviously disappointing you win eight games on the bounce and then you draw at home against Norwich It's, it's going to be in a very weird sense looking at it now I'm actually slightly more disappointed that Vardy didn't be wasn't given the goal to make it nine on the trot for him, <laughs> rather than not get the three points. That might sound crazy, but that just shows you uh, in what highest speed that we put Jamie Vardy, really. But, um, looking back as well, I, I'm quite a level-headed fan, and, and that's what we do on the podcast. We try, we try and take a step back and look at things you know, further from afar rather than just at the height of what happened mm. on the, at the game. But we did not deserve three points on Saturday. It was the worst performance uh, I think possibly of the season, but Norwich played very well. So you look back and go, "Am I disappointed?" Well, yeah, because we we wanted to win, but not really because we just didn't deserve the three points mm. to not really have a meaningful shot in the second half. So full credit to Norwich, but yeah, so not really. We'll, we'll, we'll be happy in second place, thirteen points away from from fifth. That's the, really the gap that we're looking for. And let's see what happens over the next couple of games in the Premier League. You never know; they might turn up at the Etihad on Saturday, 
uh, and get something there and then beat Liverpool and then and then we can all start talking again about <laughs> what possibly might happen. But no, that when you've got a team like Liverpool doing what they're doing, it's you know you just got to kind of let them get on with it and see what happens. Just just in regards to before we speak about the game later on, potentially to give some of our you know our Evertonian listeners who are off to the game tonight a bit of hope. What what was it that was missing in the game on Saturday? Was it just a case of just things didn't click? Um, was there a bit of, bit of tiredness there? What what was? Because I remember watching Leicester against Aston Villa the week before, and just being blown away by the the speed of the transitions. You know the interplay in midfield, and it it all looked like it was all just really running very well. What what was it that didn't quite work on Saturday? Well, I as much as he's been absolutely fantastic, I think Rogers. He, he really has to take the blame because I think he played the wrong team. He played the team that beat Aston Villa, but that was in a formation. The diamond midfield, that's worked brilliantly away from home. He played it at home, which we haven't done before. And very early on, it didn't work. Tillemans just wasn't in the game because he was just trapped on the left side of midfield. The ball wasn't getting to him. He couldn't do any damage when it, when it actually did on one or two occasions. And... Also, there was a very strange incident. We all know what happened in the Asho when the throne was taken and he kind of played on when he shouldn't have. But there was going to be a substitution made and Vardy scored or it went down as an own goal. How many times do you see a substitution just about to be made and the goal goes in <laughs> and then the sub gets told to sit, sit down. We'll just see what happens in the next couple of minutes. But no, he made the substitution and he subbed in the Asho, who at the time for me was the sharpest player. So we then made another substitution at half-time to completely change the formation to what Rodgers wanted. Two two subs down, uh, one one at half-time, second half, go and win the game, and they just didn't create anything. Perez never came on. He's the sort of player that we, were, we bought to break down teams who like to sit back and try and soak up the pressure and defend against Leicester, which has been the problem that we've had at the King Power for a, a couple of seasons. And... It, we nearly worked for Everton. It didn't work for Norwich. Hats off to them. They were fantastic. Uh, the fullbacks were, were really good for them. Um, and Pookie's obviously sharp up front. We just couldn't break anything down. There was a lack of creativity. There was a lack of kind of purpose in the first half. They really did try, but um, I think it was just a poor performance. Tillemans was off his game. Barnes and Gray got nothing from the fullbacks. They couldn't create anything for Vardy. I don't think it's anything major. I think it was just one of those games but I'd like to give credit really to Norwich. But I don't think it was Rogers' finest hour. I think he just got it he got it big time wrong really with the formation. It surprised everyone before the game as well. It's not kind of after time. Before the game there's a lot of chatter going, hang on, this is this is a bit of a risk. Um, on to the game later on then um, it's a huge one for, for Everton um, you know, a lot of people say it's going to be the biggest game of the season for us obviously we've got Duncan on the sidelines it's going to be a, a fantastic atmosphere um, I think it's interesting to see where this sort of ranks for Leicester because you mentioned there obviously about the game at the Etihad coming up the weekend you've got Liverpool at home pretty quickly Boxing Day after that I think Rodgers will, will go tonight in regards to his team selection will there be big changes do you think in the eleven? No, I don't think so. I think that's in around about a squad of, say, 15 or 16 players who can interchange very well and still have a so-called first 11. I think there will be those players involved in the game uh, tonight and the game uh, on Saturday at Manchester City. So I don't think that the position that we're in in the league has any effect on his, his selection tonight. I think he'll go very strong. There might be one or two changes from the team who played against Norwich in a very strange um, 
way, the team that started against Norwich and the formation that's the same one against Villa should actually be the team tonight. That's that's what he should have been doing or should do uh, against yourselves. But we'll we'll wait and see. It's the game matters an awful lot uh, in, in in a number of ways. Of course, you want to win a trophy. Everyone wants to win a trophy and and get that on the board. I've always said after they won the league, they need to kind of back it up with another another trophy or or, or some more success to kind of um, define this era of success in Leicester's history. So winning trophies obviously does that. They've kind of done that already by what they've done behind the scenes and also the way that they're playing now and the way that the football club's being ran and, and what appears to be kind of another start of a successful period at the football club and probable top six or European football for the, the foreseeable future, you would say. But with what happened a, you know, a year ago with the chairman, there was a real sense that, look, the cup competitions now are going to be taken incredibly seriously because they want to win a trophy kind of as a, as a, as a, as a thanks to um, the, the family that run the club, the King Power, um, corporation and obviously top and, and and his family to say you know this is kind of a, a celebration this is this is for you that this is for you um, as well as the players want to win it obviously for their own career and, and to win medals but there seems to be a sense of winning a trophy um, for the owners of Leicester and that became very quick after the incident a year ago there was a real kind of movement around the club to say come on in the next 12 to 18 months we really do need to win any kind of trophy. Um, and, and, and that feeling has been kind of brought out in the team that Rogers has played. Also, when he signed for the club, he did mention uh, that he would be playing strong teams in the, uh, in the cup competition, something which over the last few years we haven't done. We've gone to the quarterfinals of the League Cup and, and FA Cup on numerous occasions, mm. pretty much year in, year out. Lost on penalties, lost in replays all sorts but uh, we, just, we haven't got to a semi-final in years hmm. it, it feels as though Leicester have got to this stage of the, the competition a few times in the past than rest of players remember a few seasons ago when it was Manchester City at the King Power and you know Vardy and, and Mares when he was at the club then were rested as well so I'm not surprised here there's going to be no complacency on, on the part of your lads um, just finally then how do you think the game's going to go um I think Everton, in fairness, a, a few weeks ago caused Leicester more problems defensively than I've seen a lot of teams do this season. But in the same breath, Leicester created a lot of chances. Um, with the way Duncan Ferguson's got the team playing and pressing and hurrying round, it feels like it's going to be a, another open game again to me. Um, how do you see it going, Pete? Well, I think that we got the best of uh, the managerial situation when we played in the Premier League with the sitting duck as, as your manager. At the moment, it's probably the worst because you've got you know, crowd favourite Ferguson, with possibilities of all sorts of managers coming in. So there's a bit of a feel-good factor in, going on at the club in, 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 a, in, a, in a strange way, kind of a, an expectation or like what would happen. Um, so I just think it's going to be proper blood and thunder. Mm. I, I can see it being a, a fantastic game of football. I, I mean, I, I've got to go for Leicester, really. I think it's going to be close. I can't see a team winning by more than a goal. Um, I can see it maybe going all the way um, two penalties, but we'll wait to see. I, I think a team will win it by one, but I can see there being goals. I can't see anything else. I can see there being goals, and I can see there being red cards as well. I think <laughs> it's going to be. I think everything's going to be on the line here, and uh, I think it's going to be a very tasty game. Yeah. Um, and, and put it this way, it's the best quarter final of the lot, really, by far. 
Yeah, tend to agree. There should be a fantastic occasion. Pete, thanks very much for coming on. Always great to speak to you. And uh, no doubt we'll catch up again later in the campaign. Yeah, all the best with your new boss. I think that's going to be exciting. But uh, yeah, never you can win the FA Cup. <laughs> yeah, there he goes, uh, Pete Selby. Always great to catch up with him. Um, fancies Leicester, of course. Really have the Blues do the business. So we'll have a chat about the game later on with Paddy, Mickey and Jake. After the break here on Radio City Talk, it's the Blue Room. We are back on the Blue Room on Radio City Talk. Joining me in the studio now are Paddy Boyland, Jake Mills and Mickey Horton. Um, we're all very excited for the game against Leicester on Wednesday night. Uh, we'll have a chat about that a little bit later on. But uh, let's reflect first, lads, on uh, an eventful day at Old Trafford on on Sunday. Um, a determined and diligent 1-1 draw for the, for the Blues, Mickey. Um, all things considered, the injuries the team had... Um, that were, you know, that were known about and then the ones that were very short-term in regards to D.B. and Sigurdsson, uh, the way United have been playing recently, all the things that happened in the game in regards to injuries, um, a really, really creditable point for us. Yeah, and I threw all my Christmas money on Man United when I seen our team. It is done, it does. So the kids are getting on for Christmas. Anyway, <laughs> Bag of soot. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Old school. Get um, a Mason Holiday shirt. <laughs> performance. Yeah. Great performance, wasn't he? Um, Duncan factored again. Uh, makes you wonder, you know, as you say, a couple of people can say, what have the players been doing? But Duncan factored again, come in, uh, put a shift in. Uh, special mention to Mason Holgate because uh, I think Duncan fooled a few people, didn't he? He thought that we were uh, told a couple of the pundits we were going to go back five. Mm. And uh, I think two minutes into the game, slotted them straight into midfield. Uh, so he's learning quickly, uh, and just an all-out, all-round great performance. Really unlucky, I thought, to you know, to not win the game because we really did put a shift in. Uh, I thought Calvert Lewin again. Um, Duncan has really had such a massive influence on him. Obviously, uh, being an ex-striker himself, and he's like he's like a young. His performances are Duncan esque mm. because he's he's you know he's he's man of the match here. He's all over the pitch, and he leads from the front. And I think when you've got a player like that leading from the front, then that obviously spills over to the rest of the team. Uh, great all-round performance, considering the injuries. Uh, as I say, a little bit gutted that we didn't come away with uh, all three points, but Duncan factor again. Yeah, I think I I agree. With, yeah, but I do think that we. Rode our luck at times as well, um, but I think it, for me uh, there was a couple of standouts in in Holgate and um, Calvert Lewin. But just seeing Leighton Baines being able to slot back in yeah. in the way that he did as well, because they did. There was an onslaught quite a few times uh, from United, and I said that in form, and they they were able to cope with it. Really, I think Pickford done all right as well, because I think he's had his critics over the mm. last few weeks, and um, we were able to kind of cope. So. Yeah, it was good. It was good. Just hope that we can take it into Wednesday, and then um, hopefully we just we can sign off on the on the Duncan as manager on on that kind of positive really, and then just kick on from there. It's exactly what everybody at the club needed. It just feels refreshing to actually want to watch Everton again, and actually feeling disappointed that we came away from Old Trafford with a draw. It mm. you know just. It's a crazy, crazy season. I think that disappointment stems from the fact that actually, if you look at the second half, Manchester United didn't create an awful lot. I, I can't remember a clear cut chance for them. And I think that the one big one was right at the start of the game, about 15, 16 seconds yeah. in, yeah. where Lingard swivels and, and puts it just wide. You do kind of fear for what would have happened if that had gone in with the depleted resources and everything else. Um, but the, I think, again, the overriding thing for me was that there was unity, there was character, players stepping up to the plate. And, and not not just the kind of the senior heads as such, but Duncan Ferguson made a big thing after the game in his press conference of talking about Holgate becoming a leader, being somebody that people in the dressing room look to. 
and he's only a young lad still himself. He's only he's only twenty three, twenty four as it is. So, uh, looking at what has come out since that game, it was Holgate himself who, upon hearing that Sigurdsson and Sadibi weren't going to be past fit, put his hand up and said, "I'll go in central midfield. I can do a job here," and he did do a very good job in there in a in a one off scenario. Potentially, will be asked to do the same. On, on Wednesday night, you look at the latest injury news surrounding that game and Fabian Delft's not going to be back, Sigurdsson's still touch and go, although they're hopeful, and there are other, other injuries in, in different parts of the pitch as well. So Holgate might have to do that again, even if it's, even if it's not his best position. But just putting all everything together, and, and even in a sense the fact that we're talking about this being slightly disappointing, that Everton didn't hold on to that. Given the scenario that, that we've all outlined, given the fact that kind of, I think... They only named the team around 12, half 12, which is unusual in itself because they waited on Sigurdsson, they waited on Sadibi, mm. those guys to kind of pull through. They obviously didn't, and then they're effectively just having to have, having to have a show of hands as to who's <laughs> going to go in midfield. Yeah. That That's a great sign. It was a great sign. It was it was a good performance. Um, certainly not something that you would hope to see in six months, 12 months' time. But I think there has to be almost an acceptance of where we are, mm. not just in in terms of injuries, but also where we are in the league table as well. And what Ferguson's done is taken them back to those kind of foundational principles, really. They, they, they're doing the basics well. They're defending in compact blocks, 4-4-2. Calvert-Lewin's winning everything. Richarlison's buzzing around off him. And I think, whereas before, Everton maybe have been a bit too easy to play against, what you can say of this current side under mm-hmm. Ferguson is that they, they've become a lot harder to beat, and, and that's credit to Ferguson, but it's credit to the players as well. Mm. It's uh, I think, Mickey, you know, there's a lot of talk about youth development at Everton at the moment, especially focusing on Moyes Keane, and we'll come on to talk about that, that in a bit. But I think, you know, the lads you've all mentioned there in Holgate, Tom Davis and, and Dominic Carvert-Lewin, they haven't had straightforward and, and streamlined development paths at Everton. They've all had the knocks, you know, in, in the past. They're all sort of getting to that age now where you're saying, you know, we need to see more from these lads and more maturity from these lads. And I think certainly this season we're starting to get that from all three of them, aren't we? Certainly, you know, Tom Davis, I thought we missed Tom Davis out there, who I thought did have a, a really good game. I was a bit worried because he got the early yellow, didn't he, mm. after like five or six minutes. And I thought, oh, you know, this has got a chance of going here because you could see he was right up for the game. Um, but again, I think that's down to the Duncan factor. It really is. I, I just think that I, I do. I'm a little bit annoyed with some of the players that, you know, where have you been for the past, you know, four or five months uh, under Marco Silva? Because no one like, I, you know, Marco Silva, you know, I tried to sort of, I was, I was fighting his corner a little bit, I, which I have many yeah. times on the show um so the players were not you know are not totally blameless for the situation that we ended up in but you can see there's such a difference in the attitude of all three of those players and even in the stadium you know even you go to Goodison you know it's not doom and gloom anymore it's right up for it little things subtle things like Duncan taking his jacket off standing there <laughs> in the lashing rain and just his shirt that's inspiring for Evertonian stuff like that because he is he's, he's worshipped you know amongst the blues he's worshipped you're celebrating things. getting corners at the weekend absolutely it's mate it's little, yeah. stupid little things like that that obviously gets the fans going uh, and that's why he's, he's got the status that he has I, I don't know what I think those three players, um, for a while, we've talked about them as being, you know, really key uh, and and bringing their development on the future of the club, future of England and stuff. But I think they're really important for each other as well. Yeah. And I think them three playing together, you see them, you see that the best mates, you see that they're made up with each other when one scores or whatever. And I think them three playing together is really, really important because they help each other. And then maybe is is that why. 
Holgate done as, as good as he did because he's playing next to his mate as well, mm. you know, the support on each other. That's the morale that we've really lacked. Um, I'd, I'd definitely be playing. I think he'd done that I'd in the Chelsea game with Tom Davis, didn't he? Instead of bringing Sigurdsson further forwards, when Tom Davis come on, he played sort of like a second, second striker. Yeah. And straight away, he had that little link-up, didn't he, for the third goal yeah. with Calvert-Lewin. And as you say, I think that's because, you know, they do have a connection as mates yeah. and they know each other's game inside out. Yeah. yeah well, Davis and, and Calvert-Lewin are obviously very good friends off the pitch, but the, the extra dynamic here that we've all referred to already is is Duncan Ferguson. And even when Ferguson's had peripheral roles under various Everton managers over the past, he's maintained that close relationship with Calvert-Lewin, stayed after training, we believe, to work on finishing with him. And I think if there's one player that he's had that kind of close dynamic with that has been Calvert-Lewin, it's paying off. And, and even stuff like if, you, if, if you're in the away end or as I was if, in the press box, you see Duncan Ferguson going away to the, the away fans after the, um, going down to the away fans after the, uh, after the game. They're singing his name, the chanting songs about Everton, but Dominic Calvert-Lewin's out on the pitch there as well and Ferguson turns around, points at Calvert-Lewin as if to say, well, look, you, you're praising me, you're praising the team. What about this lad here? Yeah. He's just, he's played up against Harry Maguire, who's meant to be an £80 million centre-back, Lindelof, who costs 30 or £40 million, and he's given them the runaround for, for, for the best part of 90 minutes there. Mm. Again, Moyes Keane comes off on 78 minutes, and Calvert-Lewin's the one that's tasked with going out to the right. And that's quite simply because Ferguson believes that he can do a job basically in whichever position he puts him in. If he tells him as a right winger to track the runs of Luke Shaw, Daniel James, whoever's playing on that side, then Dominic Calvert-Lewin will carry those instructions out. So I think that that's worth a lot to a manager, particularly a manager in this kind of phase where he's effectively going game to game to game mm. um, and, and knows that it's not going to be a long-term project. I think the great thing now is that there's so much talk over Carlo Ancelotti and potentially what is going to happen there. That it almost feels like this is one final hurrah, one big last hurrah for Duncan on Wednesday night, mm -hmm. which means that it's a cup quarter final anyway, a sellout, we believe. So Goodison should be right up. It should be absolutely bouncing for this. There are no excuses. It's a night game. It's the last chance to give kind of Ferguson that send-off and, and say thanks for what he's done as the interim manager. So I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to that, even with the injury crisis. Do you know, on that though, I think... I think for if it is Ancelotti coming in or whoever the new manager is, I think this is the perfect way to start a, a new role as a new manager because usually, generally, a manager will come in after somebody's been sacked. Yeah. The morale is down, the, the performance aren't there, and that's what it was a couple of weeks ago. Whoever the manager is who's going to be coming in now, hopefully is Ancelotti, will be able to almost be looking at what we can achieve what we can do, what the fans want, what, what the fans are up for, how we're reacting to it. Um, he might have been coming in or whoever might be coming in and looking at Calvert-Lewin in a way that managers have looked at him in the past going, where is he best? Is he a winger? Is he up front? And straight away, he's now he's looking at it going, with, with the man who, who knows him best, saying that's what he can do. So actually, he's, he's, he's got a benefit there of saying, right, I've had a little preview of what I can hopefully now pick up and, and play him. So... I think it's um, hopefully I'd say hopefully it is Ancelotti, but I think it's the perfect way for any new manager to be to be going into the club now. The, the other thing, Matt, of course, is that this was an audition for Ferguson, not in terms of taking the job permanently, because I don't think that was ever likely, mm -hmm. but in terms of keeping his place as part of Everton's backroom staff moving forward, progressing up the ranks, and, and eventually taking the reins one day. And I think if you asked any Evertonian the question now, or if you asked Everton's board. 
um, who were sat together in in the director's box at Old Trafford on Sunday, has Ferguson advanced his own claims over the last couple of weeks? Then I think everybody would unanimously say yes. So I think even if Ancelotti comes in, it's highly, highly likely that Duncan stays on as part Mm. of the staff, potentially even as the number two, which I think is what he's been after all along really he's, he's, he's never felt he's had the experience and he's always spoken about the need for a for a world class manager to take Everton forward I think Sky Italy has just reported today actually that uh, Ancelotti if it is Ancelotti his son is going to come in and he's going to be his number two but Duncan will stay on within the club I think that's really important because uh, it's going to be important for Ancelotti as well you know because he's like yeah. the, he's part of the fabric of the club isn't he and I think you know Ancelotti is going to sort of need to know that straight away he's going to need to he's going to have to rely on Ferguson's house talking about timing I don't know whether this time is good. We're sort of riding a little bit of a crest of the wave at the moment. And I don't know whether Ancelotti coming in, listen, it's a coup. It, it's a, if someone would have told me Ancelotti a couple of weeks ago, I thought, you know, there's this Spielberg blockbuster movie that's gone over the top <laughs> a little bit. But there's part of me that's a little bit, I don't know, a bit like sort of bittersweet because mm-hmm. Ferguson has got something out of these players that I don't think any other manager could have done. He's got that little bit extra. Now, obviously, that's only a short-term thing because at some point, you know, as time goes on, we are going to need a manager. But I don't know whether the timing-wise is is the right time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But, uh, you know, if Ancelotti comes it's, along, you've got to take him after you. You know, he, he doesn't wait down yeah. for anyone. It's difficult with so many games so as well, isn't it? Mate. You know, to, yeah. where, to, where to drop a minute, at what yeah. point you say, it where is. in the next month is ideal for a new manager yeah. to come in? And, and there isn't really a day where you'd say, you know... This is the this is the point, you know. Carlo Ancelotti could be tra- taking training on Christmas Day. It's one of his yeah, first yeah. training yeah. sessions. You know, yeah. that's not ideal. Um, talk about Ancelotti a little bit more in the final part of the show. Um, the one negative you could say, Jake, from the weekend was obviously the the Moyes Keane substitution. Um, we were talking in in the break there just about just about the optics of it and how just the nature of the tunnel at Old Trafford and the way you had to trudge down the sidelines made it look a, a, a you know a lot worse and. You know, I think it's very much divided opinion. Um, it's something that a lot of people in football around the world are about to say because of the, the profile of the game and the profile of the player. Um, and Duncan's got a, a lot of stick for it and, and the way he handled it. Um, how do you feel about the whole thing a few days on? I I, I don't have a nice feeling about it. I didn't at the time. I, I think there, it's not so much... Subbing a sub is never good. That's never a nice feeling. And, you know, it's it, you always feel sorry for them. It's not so much about the sub, um, although it, it kind of was at the time. It's kind of the nature of it. it. It was the, you know, the no arm around him. And and I see people say, but he doesn't put his arm around any other subs when that he takes him off. But he's not subbing the sub when he's doing that. This was different. This was different. This was a young lad who was being given a chance at Old Trafford and sub just before the end. It was different to any other sub, and I think it showed a little bit of naivety from from Duncan's point of view of just how he handled it. I think an arm around him just to say, even if it was to say, "I'll talk to you later," something uh, visual would have been a little bit better. Um, but as you said, then him having to walk down the down the whole pitch on his own was it cut a, a very very lonely figure, and it just left a little tinge of, I don't know, felt a little bit uncomfortable. Strangely, I'd, I'd rather focus on what happens from the point at which he leaves the pitch rather than that, the actual substitution itself because I think we can debate until the cows come home whether it was valid or not. Um, um, well, only only kind of a select few people will know yeah. what was said between Ferguson and Keane. Everton, as it happened, improved after that point, saw out the 1-1, took a credible draw. Let's highlight that. In terms of 
the bit afterwards. I think that what I would concentrate on is how it was handled. And I think, like you mentioned, the optics and this long walk down, lonely, solitary walk down to the the um, the tunnel at Old Trafford, and the way that all pans out. I think that's what Everton should have handled better. And I think that's more important almost for me than the substitution itself. Um, the lad was allowed kind of to forlornly trudge down there without any kind of support. Ferguson's excuse and, and what he's put forward in, in the media of uh, over the last few days, I mean, again, you, you can take that on face value. Even if you do take it on face value, I think what you say is, as the lad's coming off, just have a word with him saying, look, mm. I wanted somebody to track this run from Luke Shaw or I didn't think you were to the tempo of the game as he mentioned in his press conference I think that's the, that that's what's turned this into a massive issue probably even more so than the substitution in in itself so that's something that maybe Ferguson will look at when he's kind of reflecting on his spell as the interim manager when he's looking at how he can push himself on that aspect of what do I do when a player is not carrying out instructions but it's pretty fragile on confidence and, and maybe hasn't had a few breaks and he's away from home and all the, the kind of stuff we've spoken about time and time again with with Moyes Keane, I think that that's where he might reflect and just say maybe if I had my time again, I'd I'd handled the the aftermath slightly better. That that that's my feeling at least. I think there was definitely communication issues. Now it always is with Duncan, isn't he? He's hard. He's you know not the easiest to understand. Yeah. So I think as an Italian, there's definitely been a mix-up because if you noticed he come out straight on and he thought he were going wide right, didn't he? He tried to sort of yeah, he runs over, doesn't yeah, he? yeah. And there was he was going wide left. Uh, sorry, yeah, wide left. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And obviously someone had had a word then and he swapped with Richardson and stuff like that. Um, and you have to remember, as Paddy was just alluded to there, it was his decision to do that walk. It was his decision not to sit on the bench. He made his own way down. You know, you could see he was up. Listen, he was embarrassed that it wasn't right. It was handled really, really bad. But as Paddy said, the most important thing there was the result. If he wants to get a cob on and he is a young kid, I think, I don't know if you remember, a couple of weeks back, Sooners sort of on Sky made an assumption about him saying that his attitude mm. maybe isn't quite correct. And he got, everyone saw Sooners a new one because we were like, how dare he? As it sort of transpires now, you might look at it, he's been late for meetings. You might wonder, is his attitude quite right? Is he going to be right for, for Everton Football Club? I think a positive thing might be Carlo Ancelotti coming into the club. Yeah. Obviously, the the, the, the language barrier, uh, he'll, he will put an arm around him, by all accounts. Ancelotti is a great man manager. That just might be what the lad needs. But it was, you know, as we've all said there, I don't think we handled it really well at all as a club. I think the, the only other person in thing here is that in the press conference uh, after the game, Ferguson also mentioned that he'd done Keane no favours and send them out to the right. He said, look, he's not a right winger. I probably shouldn't have asked him to do that role. And whatever else you say about Ferguson, at least there was an acceptance from him. There was a little bit of an acceptance of guilt. Look, I hold my hands up. Uh, he, If he was going to play, he should have played down the middle. And it, it wasn't just about fresh legs. It was about getting to the tempo of the game. And at that point, Manchester United were pressing. They, they, they looked more likely to go on and win the game. Luke Shaw was starting to bomb, bomb down the left. They were, I think... Most of their strategy was to get down the flanks at Everton, wasn't it? Yeah. Because they, they don't have enough in the centre of the park creatively to, to break sides down. That's been a huge issue for them. So, it's definitely an issue when you're losing a foot race against Lucio. Well, it is. Isn't it, you know? <laughs> it is. It is. I mean, in isolation, he actually did some pretty decent things. Moise Keane, there was, a, there was a good run. There's a cross that's just intercepted before it gets to Calvert-Lewin and a few things like that. But we've spoken so much, not only about him helping himself, which is a big issue we all accept, but also Everton helping him too. And that can be given him minutes in games where there's there's an opportunity to do so. And maybe playing in this preferred position instead of out on the right, where he's never really tracked those runners and, and has never learned how to do it even. 
Yeah. Um, interesting stuff. Um, will Carlo Angelotti be able to help him? Uh, we'll have a chat about that in the final part of the show. This is the Blue Room here on Radio City Talk. It's the final part of the Blue Room here on Radio City Talk. Matt, Mickey, Jake and Paddy still in the studio. Uh, we're going to spend the final part of the show chatting about Everton's potential new manager. Uh, these things move very quickly these days. We have to record these on a Tuesday now. So forgive us if things are a little bit out of date. But it looks by all intents and purposes, Jake, that Carlo Angelotti is on the verge or on his way to taking charge at Gullison Park. Um, I have to say, I'm still struggling to get my head around this. I don't know what I really think of it, but it's Carlo Angelotti. Yeah, it's, it's, it it feels like the uh, the Eto movement when uh, <laughs> you know we thought we, we thought we were on the on the cusp or something. Listen, that Mickey said it. This is this is a coup. This is this is a huge thing for Everton. Um, we haven't had anybody of this pedigree for since our heydays, um, and this is exactly the type of move that we should have been doing six years ago. Um, you know, we we have someone coming in uh, with a lot of money. Uh, with the ambition um, but we've never had a manager to match that ambition we thought we have a couple of times we thought that Martinez was was a manager who was going to be able to be exciting and match that ambition but actually if you look at the managers that we've got now um, hard in hindsight we've had managers who have been relegation fodder yeah. we've had people who have not been able to to actually bring that that kind of status to the club um, so this is this is an appointment that hopefully will match that ambition that we are talking about having going into this new uh, into a new stadium it could be Carlo Ancelotti taking us into Bramley Moor um, hopefully I mean don't get me wrong we've spent a lot of money and I don't know uh, whether we're going to have the same war chest again but this is somebody who is putting going to put Everton back on the map um, and hopefully be able to do something with it uh, CV-wise, you're not going to get anyone better, are you? You know, applicant-wise, you look at his previous teams that he's managed, unbelievable, um, which is my concern because, obviously, this is a completely different kettle of fish. Now, he's going to have money to spend, but, you know, we're in the wrong half of the, t- of, the, of the table. I think he's usually come in to, you know, sort of superstars and he's tweaked things here and there and made teams better that way. Um, you know, we're, it looks like we're going to get Carlo Ancelotti and we should be, you know, the, the euphoria should be all over the place. Whatever, it's not. And I don't know why that, it's this weird. I don't know. If, yeah, it could Everton. be an Everton thing. We're always obviously pessimistic. <laughs> um, but when we're not quite there and I don't know why. And it's it's sort of, it, it's not sitting quite right with do, me. Do you think that could help him though, Mickey? Because it, it feels as though, as much as we're all going, this is Carlo Ancelotti, I think you're right there. There is a sense of, there's, a, there's an excitement, but that's underpinned by an appreciation from a large portion of the fan base that this is not what he's used to in terms of his job. And there is a big job to do. And, and, and hopefully that, that manifests in the form of patience yeah. and in the form of if, that, if things don't go well for him early on, people aren't going to go, well, why isn't, you know, this fan is meant to be making mm. us amazing straight mm. away. Hopefully we all realise as fans that this is still going to take a bit of time to get sorted. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm probably looking into it too deep. I'm look, I'm wanting to know why is he, I'm, I'm looking at it saying, why is he taking this? Why hasn't he had a, a couple of months off after his, his, late, his latest gig? Why doesn't he want Christmas off? Why is he coming into Everton where it's going to be, it's not going to be an easy job for him. Now, obviously the figures that were being bounced around, you know, he's going to get a nice few quid, but also I'm looking at his age as well. I'm thinking as a manager, with what's gone before him, why would he want to maybe tarnish his career by coming into Everton? And I'm just probably, I don't know, I'm looking, I'm, I'm very sceptical, but that's just the way I am in life. Don't stress no one. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think it's it's part that and part that we're, 
all of us expect the Everton to go only messing it's Moyes. <laughs> I, I think that's it, I think it's a bit of both. Yeah. We're still yeah. expecting it. It's it's almost an anti Everton thing now, isn't it? For us to go it's Moyes or Long or it might be Moyes only messing it's Ancelotti. It's like the opposite of what we normally do. And we don't trust it. We feel weird about it. Trust no one. No, yeah, no one. Yeah. I mean, obviously, as, as Mickey said, this is a really, really impressive CV. Uh, even if you take into account that he was he was sacked by Napoli, um, I believe there were quite a few things going on there with the with the president De Laurentiis, and he was effectively warring, waging war on members of the, the Napoli, high-profile members of the Napoli squad. So that was no ordinary job that Carlo took on. He still got them, obviously, into the. The knockout stages of the of the Champions League. I think th- th- there's understandably some reticence, and I think the reticence comes from what is quite obviously a major departure from the project or the project as as we understood it all along. It, the ideas being to Marcel Brands was coming in to effectively balance the books to an extent to make Everton a bit more sustainable to sign players under the age of 24 and to, to create a young, vibrant, vibrant side that probably is going to peak in two, three seasons' time. And yet here we are appointing somebody who's only ever worked with big players would demand a big budget to come into Everton anyway. Let's not forget, because he's he's not going to necessarily look at that bench and rub yeah. his hands together with Glea, Umanias and, and Kuko Martina. <laughs> when he, when he, even at Napoli, he's had some yeah. of the world's best players or some of the world's most promising young midfielders. So... the, the there's a lot to unpack. There's an awful lot to unpack. What we know is that this will not be the Everton we've seen for better, maybe for worse, potentially, over the last four or five seasons. Um, but given the situation Everton are in, some of the other names bandied about, um, I, I think there is or there should also be some excitement as well because this is a guy that has got a good CV. He's, a, he's, a, he's an operator on a level that immediately Everton almost become in European circles, now talked about on a level with, say, a, a Leon or or a Leipzig or, or clubs who are competing in the Champions League mm. just because Everton potentially have got Carlo Ancelotti and I think it raised the profile that potentially lends itself to, to kind of better um, signings, more high-profile signings. Do you fear, Pat, for players the likes of Richarlson and Bernard? Because obviously being an Italian, they're obviously a lot based usually on units, defences um, and I don't know whether obviously the certain players that we've got are, are, you know, are, are better players but are lightweight players who do not put a, a shift in as such I fear maybe for the likes of the Charleston and Bernard that maybe he might they players like that mightn't quite fit into his, his system Maybe the, the ones that I actually would fear for most are the lads on the periphery of the squad so an Anthony Gordon or a Lewis Gibson and hopefully I'm not pigeonholing Carlo Ancelotti here but I've seen no real evidence that he would want to throw Anthony Gordon in over Gilfie Sigurdsson or or yeah. Richarlison or Bernard or any or anybody like that. So I think they're the ones that I would I would worry about most. I get the point about Ancelotti's kind of defensive instincts, but I, th- I think he still knows how to construct an attack, and he's got some good players there. Um, the main thing for me is that you just look at that squad as it is. Um, with the injuries and even without the injuries, and there are still some real glaring areas across the spine. And I was kind of having to think to myself, like, where where do Everton need to stre- strengthen imminently? And I, I was thinking, well, probably a proven centre forward, probably a, a central midfielder, a, a box to box midfielder, somebody that can put the foot in but also get forward, probably another centre back. And you're going right through the spine of the team mm. there. That, as as we've said, is, is suffering from further injuries. So 
that there's a lot of work to be done. Um, that that's also something that it adds into the melting pot here because yep. people are fully aware of the current predicament Everton find themselves in. But I think Ancelotti, from the at least from the list of names that have been out in the press, is is the one that I think most fans would be on board with. Certainly more than say a, a David Moyes or or another one of those other candidates. Really, is is there a sense here, Jake? Though that you know we we are all excited about Ancelotti and what, and what he could potentially do with this move. Are Everton throwing the baby out with the bathwater a little bit in regards to what they looked at doing last summer? I mean, the summer of of 2018 here where you've got Marcel Brands coming in, you've got young players coming through the door, um, you've got a head coach rather than a manager, and it feels very much like a classic director of football model. I'm not entirely sure Angelotti is someone who, who fits seamlessly into that, and it feels as though... There may be a bit of overlap between. You can, you can just imagine him and Marcel Brands. I'm not saying they've both got big egos, but they will be thinking, "I'm sort of the main man here, or I should be the main man here, making football and decisions." Yeah, quite possibly, but I think I think it is a risk, but I think it's a risk worth taking and a risk that Everton, as as a as a club now, have to take, um, because the alternatives, as 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 Mickey and Paddy both said. Would not be anywhere near the the ambition that we have to have. If we would have went for somebody like a David Moyes or somebody of that kind of that group of of managers, we would essentially be saying, "Sorry, everyone, we got ahead of ourselves. We'll you know we'll go back <laughs> to our place." That's basically what we would have said. We have to show that ambition, and we have to get a manager. The only alternative potentially would have been somebody like an Arteta which again in itself is a risk because he doesn't have that record he doesn't have um, that, the CV so yeah it's a risk but it's a risk that we've got to take um, and I mean talking about managing the expectations of, of Evertonians is a, is a <laughs> massive task in it and you know I can, I can already hear the shouts about Ancelotti not being good enough um, and we should have got Daisho or somebody, um, <laughs> but uh, I think it, it is about managing those expectations and saying we, we've got to stick by this little this little project here. Um, as Paddy said, it, it's it's got to be a two three year thing anyway before we actually hit the strides. And you've got to we we just need someone who we can believe in. And I think maybe with somebody like Ancelotti, it's somebody you can believe in. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Mishiri actually come out, he made a statement, didn't he, saying we want a, a Hollywood-style manager. Now we've gone down the route of the whole, we've exhausted every avenue of the whole <laughs> yeah. up-and-coming uh, foreign-type manager. You know, we even threw, we mixed it up a bit by getting Allardyce into the equation. The only thing that we haven't done is gone out and got a big-name, worldwide-known manager. And that's what the fans have been screaming out for. And, and he's done it, so fair play to him, hopefully. Well, the, the thing is, I remember when Farah Mishiri first joined Everton, and there was so much talk of competing against the other managers and the Hollywood of the Northwest, as he put it. And he's always wanted his own variation on that theme. So that's why I think Ronald Koeman appealed, because he was already a big name. He's been touted for Barcelona already. Everybody knew who Ronald Koeman was, and it looked like he was on a, an upward trajectory after, after Southampton. Maybe there was a feeling that he was going to be the next big worldwide manager he may still be if you look at what he's yeah. doing with with the Netherlands at the moment um there's been talk there's been talk of Diego Simeone before there have at least been attempts to try and get Pochettino so uh, Mashiri has wanted that caliber of manager Ancelotti quite evidently fits into the box I think the the other concern here is that we we still the best football clubs are the ones 
that are well run. And even that transcends money. So you can see Sheffield United going way beyond where they should do, way beyond their pay grade. Because everything's seamless, everything makes sense, everything's in sync. Mm. The decision-making process is clear and thorough. And I think, again, the example of, say, say a Liverpool, they, they rarely make a bad transfer. They rarely make a bad sign. And, and just about everyone you look at and go, well, he's probably the best they could have done for that budget in that position. And I don't think Everton have always done that. It's always been a, here's Gilfie Sigurdsson, Wayne Rooney and, and Davy Classen, to, to quote the <laughs> famous example. Or even now, I, I would argue that we've got two or three players that would all want to play on the left wing. And it's, it's never been, it, it's never felt to me as though it, it's been totally seamless, even with even with brands coming in. I think brands has improved stuff. But you've got you've got a couple of cooks in there all kind of staring around the broth. Um, and I think until that process becomes a little bit more streamlined, until, say, an Ancelotti makes a final decision on a player or Marcel Brands does, then this is where you run the risk of things becoming complicated and things getting a bit mud- muddled. Um, and I think that's my one wish for whatever happens next under whatever manager it, it may be, that Everton look at that process and think, well, who's going to be the ultimate decision maker here? Yeah. Is, is Marcel Brands the <clears> one? that is effectively deciding our recruitment. Ancelotti, it must be remembered, has worked in Italy, where um, the head coach and director of football model uh, has been around for a lot longer than here. He, he's he been there, done that. Even at Chelsea, he had to work under that kind of system as well, I believe. So he's familiar with it. Um, I just hope that Everton are on the same page and are able to kind of push it on because yep. otherwise it's exciting, isn't it? Yeah. Um, final two minutes. I'll have a quick chat about the game later on today um, Jake it's good quarter final under lights at Goodison Park uh, we should cherish these nights some weeks we might not have many more of them over the next few years end on a positive I mean in regards to we are actually leaving the ground soon that's what I mean you know it's, <laughs> you've saved yourself yeah. there yeah. 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 dug yourself uh, out of the hole uh, yeah I, you know it, unfortunately uh, it's, my, it's, my, it's my son's fourth birthday uh, so I won't be there uh, so you know happy birthday Made up for you. That's right. Um, <laughs> Made up for you. But uh, no, these, these are the these are nights that we dream of, aren't they? Mm. Uh, and as we said, with a new manager uh, in a month anyway, whoever it is, um, I just I just hope that this is a, a nice sign off for for Duncan Ferguson, get us through to the to the next round, and 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 then whoever the manager is, go and win the cup, get yourself in the history books, get that monkey off your back, and then let's let's kick on from there. I mean. Whoever the manager is, over the last six years, whatever, I don't know why they're not saying just go and win the cup. This is the perfect opportunity. Let's end the season with a cup and then kick on from there. Yeah, like seen today, it was like I think um, you know they were saying let's make the atmosphere it, the atmosphere tomorrow night is going to be important. Let's make be make it like a bear pit, um, and it could be Duncan's sign off. Now you know that Duncan's going to be up for it. He's going to ignite the crowd. Um, We'll wait have to wait and see what happens, obviously, whether any word comes out regarding Ancelotti tomorrow. Um, but it could be maybe this one, maybe the Arsenal game could be his last two games. They're both at home. They're both big games. And uh, as Jake was just saying there, the, the, the crowd, uh, Everton fans are being dying. You know, we, we need a cup. It's been way, way, way too long. There's a chance here now. There's a massive chance. You know, I know you've still got City in there and City notoriously puts strong quote, squads yeah. out for some reason for this cup. Um, but, you know, you've got to try and be optimistic about it. Leicester, you know, coming back off a, off a draw, you know, we sort of owe them one for what happened to, them, to us up there a couple of weeks back. Um, it just depends what you know what team we can put out. Uh, we've got fit, but uh, I think it's important. The crowds are going to be right up for it. Now, as Jake just said, there, let's go and win it. What, what a way to continue 
the feel-good factor, even if a new manager's not in situ for Saturday. The idea of going into that Arsenal game in, in a cup semi-final, having taken four points from difficult games against Chelsea United not long ago. We're still in the mire, let, let's, let's not make any, any bones about that. But what a... What an well, what an idea that we could have that after four points in very difficult um, circumstances against United and United and Chelsea. So yeah, of course the crowd's going to be up for it. Of course Duncan's going to be up for it. Um, Leicester, Mickey's mentioned Manchester City putting out strong sides. I've seen Leicester this season put out Tielemans and and Vardy and Madison away to Burton Albion. <laughs> so I'm, I'm pretty sure they'll arrive at Goodison with a strong squad as well. Really tricky game. And I think the lesson to learn from what happened there is that their, both of their goals came from those direct runs. Ball carries in Didi for the first one, and I think Ian Acho for the second one, and Pereira just carrying the ball through Ever- the heart of Everton's midfield and Everton being a bit porous. You would hope with Ferguson in charge that those lines will be a lot more compact, that they'll notice the danger in what Leicester are doing and play a different way because if you defend on the halfway line against Leicester City mm. and you create a foot race between Jamie Vardy, Michael Keane, Yerry Mina and, and Leighton Baines, Jamie Vardy's going to win every day and that, that midfield will win every day against ours. So it's going to have to be a different approach, Goodison bouncing, an up and atom approach. No coat. Back to both. <laughs> Everyone, no yeah. coat. I'll be, I'll be wearing a coat, mate. Yeah, yeah. Duncan, I'm sure, won't be, but I definitely will be. Yeah. It's going to be absolutely free. No, no jackets, sweatbands, and watches on everyone. 70, yeah. 70 mile an hour wins potentially tomorrow. Oh, Dom will love that, won't he? Just, just, yeah, just, yeah. So fast, three, that. just loft yeah. those long balls onto yeah. Carvalho Lewin and just scrap and battle. <laughs> yeah, uh, fingers crossed the Blues can yeah. do the business. Uh, can't wait for that one. It's amazing how football changes, isn't it? Uh, thanks very much to the lads in the studio. Uh, thanks very much to Pete Selby for joining us earlier on as well that's been your blue room weekly show here on radio city talk ready to get your glitter on then head to worlds of fun grand carnival from july 23rd through august 7th for a larger than life shimmering celebration join the spectacle of color a dazzling parade of floats performers music and beads that sweeps across the park and take your taste buds on a world tour while dancing to music after dark Save over 45% with a Carnival Bundle, which includes admission, parking, and three food tastings. Only at worldsoffun.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.